This is Chad Brashears, and you're listening to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast. This podcast is about creating a behind-the-scenes look with coaches, fans, and reporters from our point of view, sharing cool stories as only we've lived them. The goal is for you to learn something new to help your life and allow yourself to take a break from everyday chaos and let us give you a behind-the-scenes look into our world. Never In My Wildest Dreams podcast begins in... Good morning and welcome to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast. Today is Tuesday, February the 23rd, 2021, day 23 of the second month of the new year. Looking forward to today's show. We're going to do a little sports wrap. We're going to do a Trust Tuesday segment. And Bob Parcelitti from the Herald Mail is with us today. Looking forward to talking with him about the up-and-coming season as well as sharing some stories as a reporter that he has had for the last you know 30-plus years or so in the business. Let's first start in the world of sports. Last night in NBA action, the Chicago Bulls beat the Houston Rockets 120-100. to The Dallas Mavericks beat the Grizzlies 102-92. to The Heat beat the Thunder 108-94. to The Suns topped the Trailblazers 132-100. to The Jazz beat the Hornets 132-110. to And the Wizards, in overtime, beat the LA Lakers 127-124. to on to tonight's games, the Hawks travel to Cleveland to take on the Cavaliers. The Pistons are in Orlando to take on the Magic. The Kings are in Brooklyn to take on the Nets. The Warriors are in New York City to take on the Knicks. The 76ers go above the border to Toronto to take on the Raptors. The Celtics are in Dallas to take on the Mavericks. The Timberwolves are in Milwaukee to take on the Bucks. The Portland Trailblazers are traveled to Denver to take on the Nuggets. And the Washington Wizards stay at the Staples Center. This time they're playing against the Clippers on their West Coast swing. On to the world of college basketball. In last night's top 25 action, Southern California beats Oregon 72-58. In the game of the night, Texas Tech was at Oklahoma State. I did call it yesterday on the podcast. Oklahoma State would win, and they did win in overtime 74-69. Kate Cunningham had 20 and 5. He's starting to set himself up to be the number one overall draft pick in the up and coming NBA draft. On to tonight's top 25 games. Number 5, Illinois, is at Michigan State. Number 10, West Virginia, is at TCU. Georgia Tech travels to number 16, Georgia Tech. Iowa State takes on number 2, Baylor, who has been off for a while. St. John's is at number 8, Villanova. Number 7, Oklahoma, is at Kansas State. 9 p.m. on ESPN. Number 17, Kansas, is at number 14, Texas. That should be a really good ball game. In the last top 25 matchup, Old Miss travels to number 24, Missouri. In ACC action tonight, Notre Dame is at Louisville. And, and in the SEC, in not top 25 games, LSU is at Georgia. Florida is at Auburn. And postponed this evening, Texas A&M was supposed to be at Kentucky. That is the world of sports on two Tuesday trust when we come back. Never in my wildest dreams podcast begins in three, two, one. Welcome back to Never in My Wildest Dream podcast. Looking forward to this next segment. It is Trust Tuesday. Just gives you something to think about trusting the process. I'm big on talking about trusting the process because I believe that way too many of us, including myself, have had this process in our mind that we were going to do A, B, C, and D in our lives. And as soon as we got to a certain point, we kind of gave up on our dreams. And at 38, I'm refusing to give up on mine. I'm not going to be doing what I'm doing today 30 years from now. 
it's just not going to happen. I'm going to be completely honest with you about that because 30 years from now, I'm going to be doing exactly what I want to do, but I'm going to do it very soon. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to live a very comfortable and happy life. And when I mean comfortable, everybody assumes comfortable is how you live with finances. No, comfortable is how you live where you can go to work every day with a smile on your face. And when you get off every night, there's no stress to go back with you. So here's something to think about as we go through our Trust Tuesday segment. A salary is a drug they give you when they want you to forget about your dreams because it's very easy to stay in the world where someone's mitigating your risk. You have to perform a certain task and you have to do it very well for one third of your day and they will feed you a salary and you don't have to think about anything else and that works for a lot of people. So there's nothing truly wrong with that. It's actually pretty noble. Great employees are extremely valuable to building enterprises but when you leave that path and you put risk on your income that you need to eat with, you're going on a different journey and that fear of failing becomes an extremely motivating factor. You know, you ask any entrepreneur about the journey and they're only going to tell you about the dark moments when they face the abyss and they don't know what is actually going to happen. But this gives them a tremendous amount of emotional grit as a person. I say all this to think about, are you chasing your dreams? challenge your grit as a person and try to achieve something in the calendar year 2021 that you never thought you would do you've had too much fear to try to go after it say i'm going to get this by december 31 2021 and watch how much more enjoyable your life becomes that is our trust tuesday segment bob parcelity will be on when we come back never in my wildest dreams podcast begins in three two one Welcome back to Never In My Wildest Dream Podcast. Looking forward to my next guest. I have Bob Parcelitti from the Herald Mail on. Bob and I have known each other for a long time. He's covered a lot of my games. We've become friends through the business and doing this, so I'm looking forward to having Bob on. Bob's from Maple Heights, Ohio, which is eight miles outside of Cleveland. He went to college at Kent State and majored in their journalism. He also was a four-year manager for the men's basketball team there. Six days after he graduated in 1980, he got a call to go to Painesville, Ohio to start in his career on writing for the newspapers. He's written for Martinsburg's newspaper, Lancaster newspaper, and his final stop and where he currently sits now is the Herald Mail, and he's been there for 34 years. Bob, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Hey, not a problem. I know you're a busy guy. We're, uh, as we are starting our season on Friday, I know you guys have been pretty busy down at the newspaper. How has that kind of transpired over the last couple weeks with us revving back up? Well, it, you know, it, uh, it it's not as uh, pointed as it's been because we've had to adjust to how everything's going. I mean, with uh, you guys uh, being pushed back and everything like that, we didn't do the uh, usual previews we did. So it wasn't as bad with that part. Uh, but, uh, you know, now after free-forming for so long because of the COVID, it's actually feeling like we're actually working again. <laughs> So, you know, COVID, and I was going to ask you that, how has COVID affected what you do on a daily basis? Like, what would a day been like on, let's just say, the 23rd of February 2020 and now to 23rd of February 2021? How has it transpired and changed everything in your line of work? Well, uh, the biggest thing is we're not working in the office. Okay. Uh, And it sounds weird, but it really, I mean, I really had a hard time dealing with it because not, not so much the camaraderie or anything like that, but 
you don't get that feel that you have to hit a deadline. I mean, there's so many times that we go out and we cover stuff, uh, you know, and all of a sudden I'm running back somewhere and I have to, I got 45 minutes, I got to get this done and I got to get it so that they can get it, read it and put it in the paper. Now, you know, we got all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, and uh, it's the lack of pressure just kind of bothers me because I just feel like I waste so much time and I, I'm doing so much, um, you know, uh, like just taking it easy. I don't feel like I'm under the gun, which I, I, I usually like and I thrive at, I feel like. <laughs> so that's been the tough part for me. I mean, I just can't get used to having free time like that. Uh, you know, I mean, we're, we have such a business that we don't, we, we're hourly, but we don't go on a clock basically because, you know, news doesn't happen eight to five. It's always happening at certain times. And when you're dealing with sports, most of the stuff starts at seven o'clock. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, you work a lot of nights, uh, you work, you know, you, sometimes you get a daytime assignment, you know, and you just kind of wheel around. Well, like right now, it's all wheeling around because you have to, we have to be really looking for stories because nothing's going on. True. You know, you and I talked on the phone the other night with regards to kind of kicking in the season, people to watch, players to watch, that type of stuff. And you mentioned that the deadline is now six o'clock. Explain a little bit, like how much that has changed, because you would have started in the Herald Mail in 1987. I think you said June 15th, if I remember right. And by yeah. starting on June 15th, of 1987, I remember when they were printing the Morning Herald and the Herald Mail. Were they printing that still when you started, or were they just the Herald Mail when you started? Well, they had they had both papers back then, and they we would print twice a day. They would print. Uh, when I started at the Morning Herald, our deadline for the last page before it went to press was 1.05 in the morning. Okay. So it would be printed like, say, Wednesday morning, 1.05, and it would be under your doorstep by 6 o'clock Wednesday That's morning. That's really And cool. eventually as things went, and then they would do the afternoon paper, that would get printed, say, around noon. I don't okay. remember the exact deadline for them, but they would print around noon. Well, later on, they consolidated, and, and we were printing at the same thing. But then slowly but surely, things were moving back. I mean, we would go, we went from 105 to, like, new, uh, midnight, say, because circulation needed to be able to deliver the papers because we were starting to consolidate between the Herald Mail and the, and the Morning Herald, uh, or the Daily Mail and the Herald Mail. And then... Um, we went to, uh, we kept going back, and then finally we stopped printing, and everywhere we go, they would say, we have to move back because we have to fit into a slot, gotcha. that, uh, because they're printing more papers than just ours, you know? Right. So, slowly but surely, it's been moving back. So, our latest move is we've uh, gone from 10 o'clock at night to 7 at night. So, our deadline has got, went from 1.05 in the morning when I first start to 7 at Seven the evening. How about that? So, <laughs> so we've lost like eight, five hours, six hours. So, I mean, to be completely honest with you, at 7 o'clock, I mean, some of my games will tip up 7, 7.30, football kick off 7, 7.30. That's going to be pretty tough as I look forward, you know, going into the, our season coming up for six games and then you go into other seasons. The only sports that seem to make sense with that now would be like baseball. Because you could have baseball and softball games would be done. But other than that, you're going to be basically writing a story that goes online that night but won't be in copy for two days. Does that sound about right? 
That's correct. And I mean, uh, even high school baseball would be a stretch because if you go, uh, it has to be done by seven o'clock. So it's getting paced, you know, uh, they can send it out to be printed. You have to be run probably uh, write the story by six so it can be read, put on the page, have the headline. If there's a picture, get a cut line, uh, have everything fit just right proof it if there's a jump jump it to another page you know where it says see story on page three that's called the jump okay so then you see uh, you go over to page three and you look over there for the end of the story and all that takes a process i mean you got to consider that when we walk in the door say at four o'clock in the afternoon in the old days walked in the door you basically had a blank sheet of paper there and by the end of the night you you were doing the the headlines, the pictures, picking the pictures, picking the stories, designing the page and everything to see okay. to get to what you see when the paper's printed. Gotcha. So that's a process that goes for a long time. So then technically if they're playing at four fifteen for baseball and they're not getting done to like six o'clock or seven o'clock or six thirty. Yeah, there's no way you know, well, no way we're going to get it. We're yep. still going to do that. Right yep. now, if uh, you've got, like, the Orioles playing, and even when we were at 10 o'clock, if the Orioles were playing at 7 o'clock, we weren't going to get it because at, if usually if baseball goes three hours, they, and then they take 20 minutes to get the first story there, it's past their deadline already. True, <laughs> true. You know, we talk a lot, of, and, and honestly, I had no idea how the paper went together. You and I have actually had those conversations in the past, and, I, and I've learned that from you. I mean, I miss, I'll be honest with you, driving down, I guess it would be um, Summit there where you could sit on the right-hand side. You'd be able to drive past and look and see the paper printed. And that was always really cool as a kid to see them running through those big machines. I think they now call it the press room or something like that. You can rent it right. out for events. Um, but how did you get into journalism in the sports, and have you always – only written sports or have you written other stuff as well for newspapers i i've i've done some other stories but it's mostly all it's been sports gotcha. and i to be strictly honest with you i got in, into it almost by accident <laughs> just like how i became a manager too but uh back when i was growing up i thought i was going to follow my dad's footsteps my dad uh was on uh, a computer a computer guy and this is back when the computers were like if you watch the old uh, movies and they have like uh, the reel-to-reel tapes and mm-hmm. and, and the ca- the cards, you know, that they used to feed in there to feed information. Yeah. My dad was one of those guys. Gotcha. It's like back old uh, the old Mission Impossible days. If you watch old TV, oh yeah, well the computer <laughs> and, takes up the whole room, right? Yeah, I mean when I first started the Herald Mail. Uh, the computer stuff in there, uh, the room was just filled compared to what it looked like now. Because now it's only like two or three monitors. Before it was like tapes that they would have to change like once a day so that they could keep the information so that if anything happened, they could reboot everything. <laughs> and now it's just a, uh, it's just a terminal. But anyhow, back in that day, I was taking a computer math class and I was goofing around and all this stuff. And I had a teacher was George Belden and he was kind of you know this is we're talking about the mid-70s he was the guy with the sort of a red-headed guy with sort of long hair bell bottoms the whole bit you know and he tried to do different things and he ran a class called literature and sports 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it was an English class, and we went in, and it was all sports based. And I was a sports nut, so I always went, you know, I went jumped all over it. And we went in there, and we had to read like three or four different books. There was a book called Ball Four, which was the diary of the New York Yankees by Jim Bouton. If you ever get a chance to find one of those, read it because it's hilarious and it's, it's really, it tells you a lot about baseball. Uh, there's another one that we call it, well, it was by Jerry Kramer, who used to be a lineman, a lineman for the. Uh, Packers. Packers, yep. And uh, he was, uh, he had instant replay. We read that. Uh, I can't remember uh, the third book, but the last one was uh, a, a kind of a fiction novel called uh, Bang the Drum Slowly. And it was about a, a guy that was like autistic that played baseball, but he hit it well. And how the manager tried to nurse him all the way through. And, and it was, it's kind of like a Brian's song from, of uh, baseball. Gotcha. So we had to read those uh those books and everything well one of the one of our term papers we had to do was go out and cover a sporting event and write it as we were a reporter well at that time i was the basketball manager for the uh for my high school team and it was great because i mean it was great i was taking notes already and taking stats for the baseball or for the basketball team so i mean heck it was easy for me to cover the game (laughs) so I, uh, I, I was, uh, I did that, you know, and I, all of a sudden all the cheerleaders are there and asking me to take notes for them so they can write it and all this stuff. So I was always taking notes for the games and everything. So I wrote my story, handed it in and, uh, all of a sudden our town paper, which was probably, if you want to make a comparison, like the Hancock news, a weekly that comes out a small town weekly type thing. Right. They were looking for a sports writer to cover the high school games. And the te- and they came to the teacher because they heard about this class and me and another guy, he had uh, put him up and uh, they, I, I went and they, they gave me the job. So I was writing once a week for $2 an article <laughs> and it took me all day to write because I couldn't type worth a lick on the, uh, the uh, regular manual typewriters. And uh, and then back then I had to write it out because I couldn't think and type at the same time. But it took me all day Sunday and I typed and took it out. And then from there I decided I wanted to be a writer because I had fun and, and it went from there. I went straight to Kent, got on the school paper and worked my way up. That's awesome. So you went, you graduated six days later. You were telling me that story. I think that's pretty cool. You didn't have a job going into Memorial Day weekend, and by that Friday, you were starting a new job. That's, And you haven't stopped working since. What did you say? You've taken three weeks off or something like that in 34 I, uh, years or 40 Well, there years? has been, in, in between the, the four different jobs I've had, I've probably had a grand total of three months off. Uh, the Between my first job and second job from uh Painesville, Ohio to Martinsburg, I had two months where I wasn't working. And then like in between going from uh, Lancaster to here, I had about two weeks off. Gotcha. That's, I mean, that's awesome though. I mean, it shows you what, uh, how you were raised and the fact that, you know, you were, you were taught to grind and just get through and and work for a living and earn your keep. And, And obviously, when you and I have talked in the past and we work together on different, you know, you're covering my game or whatever, I always get that feel from you that you really enjoy doing what you do and you try to get to know the people in the business. So like myself and the other coaches in town, you do a good job of meeting us, understanding how we operate so your questions can be formed to how we work. And I really appreciate that. I just wanted to let you know that. 
Well, one of the reasons why I think I'm able to do that was because I was manager. When I was uh, at Kent doing basketball, I would go do my duties after a game, and then I would run over to the press room to see the coach getting interviewed and watch how the other guys did it. And gotcha. I think, uh, I mean, personally, and I might be er- uh, being egotistical or a little bit arrogant when I say this, but I think that experience helped me because after sitting in watching practices all the time, and base basketball is probably the one that I really got started and I really, really liked when I got out of it. From watching practices and listening to the coaches talk all the time, I learned so much. Mm-hmm. So I feel like when I come and talk to coaches, I still have a little bit of that floating around, even though I'm a, probably a dinosaur as far as some of the mentality that I have. But I uh, look at it as I can talk to them sort of on, talk to you guys sort of on your level. You do. You know, I mean. I can uh, I can say well, I saw that you went from a two three to a one three one zone and you were trying to do this and you know I, and I have people look at me like how the heck did you know that <laughs> you know? <laughs> but awesome. I've gone and, and and learned things along the way uh, from in the other sports uh, you know by covering uh, the Suns which I did for like twenty years mm-hmm. um, a couple of the managers and one of them was Jerry Naren who's still. I think he's a bench man. He was a bench manager for um, the Yankees for a while and the, and the uh, Reds for a while lately, but he was also a, a major league manager after he left here. He was here for two years back in 91, 92, I think it was. And he uh, he would sit there and we had the late deadline. I didn't have to hurry. And we'd sit there and pick, I'd talk to him about all kinds of stuff. And he taught me why he has... Uh, certain guys hitting in certain places in the order or how the order is constructed so that this guy protects that guy and, and all that other stuff. And I always pay attention to that because you can tell what players are going in what positions because of what their job is. Right. You know, so and by the time he got into his second year here, I was up in the press box saying, OK, he's going to come out and do this right now. I'm calling basically every one of his moves. <laughs> Because I, I started to understand because he was teaching me, you know. So I, and then I lean on that when I go and I talk to my high school coaches now. And football is another thing. I, I'm trying to think who exactly helped me with that. Uh, back when I first started with like uh, Walter Barr, who was at Shepherd College back then, was a guy that kind of talked to me about those things and taught me about things to look at. And I have kind of a weird... Um, idea of what football is i mean you'll talk to a coach and they'll talk about the blocking and the tackling and and um you know leverage and all that other stuff you know that uh bunker mentality idea mm-hmm. and my my idea is that, that uh, football is all that but it's majorly i think a game of influence because you sit there and you watch a game uh, a play and something you see that's being run on first down is to set up something that's on third down Correct, uh, and that's that's the big thing because if you watch, if they run left on one play, it's to get everybody to lean that way so they can do something on the right hand side the next within the next two plays, mm-hmm. and that that's how they score more. And I think that's a, a big thing in basketball too over the years, because when I first uh, was involved with it, you know, you had the set plays, and the whole idea was just to get people to move op- around to get things open. 
yeah. you know, so that you can make a shot. Then later on here, like when the era of the moving, uh, the uh, motion offense came in, the whole idea was moving guys around and making them run all over just to open up a weak side area, mm-hmm. you know, to get a shot or get an open shot. Now basketball is a thing where you run around and you, uh, you try to get in your set offense, but a lot of it is penetra- penetration and dishing out to the outside for that three-point shot or taking it straight to the hoop. So the game is involved in, in a lot of ways over the years. You, you know, it's funny you said that, Bob, and I take notes while we talk just so I can kind of like stay off on what you just said and, and stay kind of on task. I, I got a couple things to throw at you real quick there. My freshman year at Shenandoah University, Walter Barr was the head football coach. It was yeah. the first year they opened up. So I got to know Walter pretty well. Coach is an awesome guy. Um, tell you what, he was tough as nails. He was a tough-nosed dude. So I'm sure when you were covering a Shepherds game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. And with I, bas- I could story about him. <laughs> well, I, I'd love, I would love to hear that. Um, you know, in basketball, I, I compare a lot of sports together, which is probably a little bit different than, than most people. But to me, there's three layers of basketball. you got your offense, you have your defense, and you have your special teams. Same as football, right? So you right. got your offensive sets, your defensive sets, how you're going to guard people. And then special teams are foul shots, baseline out-of-bounds plays, sideline out-of-bounds plays, that type of stuff. So when I break it down and look at games that way, that's what when you said that reminded me of setting stuff up. I'll say stuff to my dad on the bench like, hey, watch how they defend this set because we might have to counter it next time and stay in my ear about that. So I know if we go into a handoff situation, the next time they're going to jump it, we'll, just, we'll slip the guy back door and we'll get a layup. So it kind of keeps people honest. So football and basketball to me are very similar in that respect. So as I wanted to pass that along when you said that. I was like, oh, I can definitely talk about that a little bit. Well, so. I think a lot of sports are like that. Uh, I mean, you look at... Uh, like lacrosse, soccer, and hockey. If you look at those three sports, uh, they're similar because of the way they pattern their offenses. And uh, I was when I was first started covering lacrosse, I didn't really know much about it and somebody told me that I should approach looking at it as um, basketball offenses because the way the patterns that they run like you know baseline and uh, down the middle and penetrations and that kind of stuff are similar to a basketball set offense and once I started doing that I started to get sort of an idea of it and I I must be really good BSer because I, I covered a game and the, that same guy came up to me and says, see, you know a lot about the sport that you didn't know about. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You're right, though. I lived with two lacrosse guys in college and we would talk about setting picks, right, and going back yeah. door and all that stuff. It is pretty cool how they they do intertwine a little bit. That, that is pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. What's your favorite sport to cover? Well, I, I, I like I said when I first got going here, basketball was it, and right. I really get tired of the NBA. But I really liked college basketball, yep. and and that kind of you know, and I loved. I was really because I could watch and understand it, and you know, uh, then I started getting wrapped up in football and uh, and ba- baseball, mm-hmm. and it, it got really funny because as I was moving on. When I first started getting into this profession, my dad really wasn't a sports junkie. You know, he kind of watched it, uh, you know, and he was one of those reluctant little league uh, fathers. And 
I mean, as far as me pl- coming to watch me play was like watching paint dry because I was like a, a lawn jockey out in right field and the ball never came to me, you know. But uh, um, as I started going through it, I started picking up things. And like we would be watching, he would try to sit and watch a game with me when I would get home. And we'd be watching a football game and it'd be going along and I'd go, oh, wow. He goes, what? And I said, did you see that block? He goes, what block? He goes, I didn't see anything. I said, wait a minute, they'll probably show you on the instant replay that block because it just broke that play open. All of a sudden, like 10 seconds later, they put up on the screen, now catch this block and it's coming up here to open up this play. He goes, how did you see that? And I said, I don't know. I just kind of watch everything. I don't just follow the ball, you know? Right. <laughs> and then I'll be sitting there and we'd be talking and I'd say, you know, I'd say something, some, make some statement about the game and like, 10 seconds later the guy on tv would say the same thing that i said (laughs) my dad was amazed (laughs) i mean you do learn the games and it becomes part of who you are i mean and you know and and the best part about it is i've I've gotten to know you as bob not bob parcelletti from the herald mail and i appreciate that because i know you as a person not as just what you do but i can be honest with you when i played ball garetti and we would see you walk in the gym to cover a game, you get a little excited. You're like, oh, man, there's a chance if I play really well today, I'm going to have my name in the paper. I'm going to maybe, you know, have to talk to the uh, to the reporter and give him some, like, you know, ESPN answers because I really don't know exactly what else I'm going to say. So, I mean, it is fun when my guys, you know, and when you guys come in to cover my games, my guys do the exact same thing. I can just see it on, them, on their faces. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's, that's kind of cool. And uh, that's the kind of thing I like to thrive off of because uh, I hate stock answers. And if a guy comes in and he's all excited, I, 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 I interview a little different than anybody else. And I, I, I think you can tell this too, because yeah. I don't really ask a question. I start a conversation Correct. and I'm told that, that that's not the way to do it, but it works for me. Well, and you're right. It does work for you because you're used to your style. And then you know how to gather your information from your style. But, you know, I hate I hate questions. Like when we talk about the game, you and I, you never have posed a question to me. You, you might say, hey, Chad, you switched from a man to a zone there. What were you thinking? But it starts a dialogue that we can have a running conversation from it instead of me just answering a one-word answer. So. Well, and the thing about it that I find that I and I think it helps me as a writer, I think it makes me a little bit different than everybody else, is number one, I always approach a game that why is this game different than the one I'll see tomorrow and the, and the one I saw yesterday. True. So there's got to be something in there that made it stand out. Secondly, by talking the way I talk to everybody, I, get, I tend to get quotes that nobody else seems to get because people are not programmed to the yes and no answer i mean and if i do get you and uh, or anybody and they'll say you know they'll answer my question yes or no the next question is why right because you want them to say something different exactly <laughs> exactly now i'm going to tell you this i've never told anybody this in the media world before but i i have you know family and friends know this every single time i have an interview with you guys or anybody i drop a movie line like a quote from a movie a sports movie I will use yeah. something from Gene Hackman, Her Brooks and Miracle. I, I take one of those lines because that's what motivates me. And you guys are probably never picked up on that, to be completely honest with you. But I will take a line from a movie in a context of what we were doing and use that because it's kind of how I motivate myself 
to stay in tight with my guys because it, it keeps my mind right where I need it to be from a focus perspective. So, well, with, with that kind of stuff, you know, I mean, that's kind of the idea. You know, it's, I'm sort of the same way with the idea that because I try to be observant, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm trying to find things uh, that's again that you know made it this game different than the game that you would see, you had seen or are going to see next. I mean, think about it like when I was doing the Suns. The Suns would be seventy home games a year. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm doing seventy home games and every game is the guy hit, uh, you know, the actuality lead. So and so went two for three with two home runs and three RBIs to lead the Hagerstown Suns to a eight to three victory over the uh, uh, Delmarva Shorebirds. I mean. How many times are you going to read that before you just say, well, I don't have to read anymore? And when I got here, my style uh, was not one that, uh, and still isn't, that a lot of journalists uh, like. But I, I guess I write more magazine style than I do newspaper style. Okay. But I've also been told by readers they like that because I'm telling them a story as opposed to forcing the game down their throat. I mean, so, I, I would yeah. agree with that. People want to read stories. That's kind of why I started this podcast, to be completely honest with you. I mean, my, my thought was we have so much other craziness going on in the world. Why can't I just go tell fun stories to, I mean, you know, a lot of people probably know who you are by reading your name in the newspaper or seeing you come in a gym, but they didn't know anything about Bob Parcelletti. But now they're going to say, oh, man, he went to Kent State. I got a Kent State story. And things kind of could evolve from it for you or, or for me, and, and it makes it a lot of fun. Um, I know you said you had a story about Walter Barr. What's that story about Coach? Well, I, he when I first met him, he had been he was real gun shy about being uh, being uh, interviewed. Uh, the guy who had covered them before him just burned him a couple of times, and he was really uh, sensitive to it. So the first time I met him, you know, I told him, "Look, I'll I'll take care of you. Just talk to me. I'm not going to hurt you if." You know, the only way you're going to hurt, get hurt by me is if you hurt yourself. Because, if uh, you know, I, I give people a chance to kind of settle down and try not to interview them in the heat of the battle type thing. Because they'll say things about referees, and they don't really want to say that things about referees. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And uh, so I'm interviewing the first time, or one of the first times, and he, I asked him a question. And he gave me this very stock, very boring answer. And it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. So I went back and I asked him another question. And then I came back and reworded the first question I asked him and asked it again. And he stopped and looked at me. And he kind of shuffled around a little bit. And he said, he gave me an answer. And again, it was a stock answer that he gives, the one that he uses to get out of something, you know. So then I asked him another question. And I came back and went to the first question and worded it differently for a third time. <laughs> and I asked it to him, and he stopped, and he blinked at me, and he looked at me twice. He goes, I, you've asked me that twice or, or twice before. I said, but you haven't answered it twice before. Just tell me what's on your mind. <laughs> and after that, it was great. So one time I'm walking along with him, and we're trying to talk, and I'm, I'm interviewing while we're walking because he was going to practice. And this is the story I wanted to tell you. And this is back in the you know, late or like the middle, uh, beginning and middle of eighties. So, you know what style was and everything like that. Oh yeah. Well, he had this big bruising linebacker and he he comes in and the kid's doing, he's doing his warm up calisthenics. So he's sitting there doing like sit-ups and, um, 
he says to the kid, hey, did I just see you on the campus walking around with an earring in your ear? And the kid's going, oh, yeah, coach. Uh. He goes, why would you want to do something like that? He goes, well, coach, you know, uh, it's just that. He goes, give me a good reason why you wanted to wear an earring. He says, fashion, coach. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. How did, now, how did coach, okay, so he said fashion. What did Walter say after that? He just, he just kind of like rolled his eyes, you know. He didn't know what to say to come back, you know. He, he's just, well, I don't want to see you wearing it. Don't wear it out here on the field, you know, that kind of thing. That's that's awesome. Yeah, that sounds exactly like Coach. You know, he was very uh, direct in a lot of ways, and, and that sounds just like Coach. So yeah, He's a great guy. I haven't seen him in years. Uh, I had seen him after Shepard, uh, but when I would run into him, you know, he, he was always still talk to me like he knew me, you know, like yesterday. Yeah, he, for a while, he was the – so they had like a radio. Um, all Shenandoah games are on um, 95.3, an FM radio dial for football and basketball. And so you got to know the radio guys. You got to know all the – like they traveled and stuff. So yeah. Walter actually became like the color commentator for the radio for like five or six years after he retired at Shenandoah. So I got to see him all the time. And it was really cool to see Coach. I mean, he's he's definitely slowed down a lot now, but his mind is still as sharp as ever, which is pretty oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't expect anything else because he's so dedicated, you know, yes. and I think that's part of it. He's He still looks for stuff and stays razor sharp on it, you know, because he pays attention to it. So you've been doing this for 41 years starting in after Memorial Day because you graduated, you know, 41 years ago and then you got into the business. Right. What story of all the ones that you've written, all the ones other than maybe that Walter Barr story, which story sticks out to you the most that you thoroughly enjoyed interviewing and writing and kind of compiling to give to the public as a story to read? Well, I mean... Uh, it's funny because a lot of people I've been, I was telling stories the other day about old things that I've covered and stuff like that. One story uh, I'll give is a real quick one from uh, high school around here. Okay. Uh, it was, um, God, I I can't even remember what year it was, but it was the year when Smithsburg was really down. Dave Morris was the, the coach back then and they had a run of, I don't know how many games in a row where they had lost. Okay. And they were out and they went to Clear Spring to play Clear Spring. And this is before the, the clock came in, the thir- you know, the 32nd clock. Mm-hmm. And um, so they get going. Both teams are struggling. and can't score in the first quarter. It ended up being 3-2 to two after the end of the first quarter. Uh, Smithsburg gets the ball to start the second half. And... The kid, and I remember the kid's name is Nick Afaji, he was the name of the guard. He dribbles the ball over half court, stands at the jump circle, and puts the ball under his arm. And here's <laughs> here's uh, Claire Spring sitting in a 2-3 uh, zone because they're packing it in, and Smithsburg's just kind of hanging around, and Afaji stood there for seven minutes and 20 seconds at the ball. <laughs> so the clock's running, everybody's sitting there, and we're watching it, and it's like, I can't believe this. And I text back into the office, I go, you're not going to believe what I'm seeing. I go, you know, it was, it's, I mean, it's three to two halftime. I think it might have been, it might have been like five to, five to 
three at the half or something like that. But I mean, it was like they just stood there for a whole a, a whole quarter practically. Well, then they came out, and because of the flow of the game was gone after all this, the final score was something like fifteen to twelve. Oh, Clear wow. spring one. You know, I come back to the office and I said, I got to write this, and everybody's like, they're in. They go, what are you going to do with this? And Mark Keller, who used to be my boss, he was just starting over there, and he always brings the story up because he, uh, he he was just cracked up over the lead I wrote. And I wrote that uh, the Clear Spring and uh, Smithsburg game was a, uh, was a game of art. So it was a still life, but it was still a game of art. <laughs> <laughs> And I just did about a whole bunch of stuff about chess moves and, and stuff like that. Because you had to get sarcastic about it, because what were you going to write about? True. <laughs> no, that's very true. Um, I uh, Another story I was thinking about was uh, when I first got out of school, there was a guy that was covering the Browns and Indians for us at Painesville. And he wanted me to go along with him because he kind of liked... He, he, I think he saw that I was a guy that got quotes and nobody else got and, and stuff like that and wanted me to go around to help him out. So he took me to an op- the opening day for the Indians and um, everybody gets in and that's back in the day where you just walked in the locker room and interviewed people. They didn't bring them out to a podium day or anything. So we walk into the Indians locker room or the clubhouse and uh all the guys that were the beat writers who had been down to spring training and everything, they're all hanging out on the side waiting to, for things to open up to talk to people. And I didn't know any better. So I'm walking around, you know, and back in the back corner was this player named Bake McBride. He was an outfielder that they picked up as a free agent. And he was, uh, he was coming from Philadelphia. And little did I know at the time, he hated the media <laughs> because he got hurt in Philadelphia, and he just got grilled and roasted by the Philadelphia media. So, and he wasn't very personable. Nobody like sat next to him. He had a locker in the corner all by himself and everything like that. Well, I'm walking around, and 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 then the opener he comes in and debuts for the Indians, and he goes, he was supposedly had a leg injury when he uh, was in Philadelphia, and he had had a hard time getting, you know, back in shape. When he shows up in Cleveland, he goes three for five in the first game, and one of the, of the balls he hit was a slow roller that he legged out for a single. You know, I don't even remember if the Indians won or not, but I just remember that. And so I'm wandering around. I'm 23 years old. I'm fresh out of school, you know. And I, you know, like like a little kid, like Tiny Tim or something like that, I walk up to him and say, Mr. McBride, is it okay if I talk to you? <laughs> I wanted to ask you a few questions. And he looks around because he thinks he's looking for ask, uh, probably Austin Kutcher, or Kutcher and looking at pranked or something, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Because uh, he's looking around because <laughs> nobody comes talks to him and he doesn't want to talk to anybody. And he looked at me and I says, look, I mean, I, I know that's kind of tough, but I know, and I know you had a hard time in Philadelphia, but heck, I mean, you came out here with that three for five and it looked like your leg was really good by the way you legged it out. And he talked to me. That's so awesome. I write down a couple of quotes, you know, and I, I come back and I go over to, to where the, all the media is standing there. And Mike, the guy that I went down with, he looks at me and goes, where have you been hiding? I said, I was over there doing an interview. He goes, who are you talking to? I said, 
big surprise. He goes, he didn't talk to anybody. I go, and I show my notebook. He talked to me. <laughs> All of them were running over there to talk to him. Oh, that, that's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. Um, another one that I had with Mike as an experience, I covered the uh, championship game the year that the Browns played the, the Raiders, and the Raiders won in Cleveland like 13-12 to because mm-hmm. Brian Sype threw an interception in the back of the end zone when the Browns should have went for a field goal to win instead of a touchdown. Yep. And I, I was there. It was like 32 degrees below zero wind chill factor off the lake. And me and the other, uh, the, another guy that was coming along, he was supposed to help out get quotes for the Browns, and I was supposed to get from the Raiders. And uh, we had to sit in the stands because there were so many people there because it was a national game like that. The national media was there, and there was no room. So we were up in the stands freezing our butts off. So five minutes after the game, we walked down. We were able to walk around, and we're standing on the field. We are able to walk around on the field with everybody cheering around you and everything, which is pretty cool. And then after the game, it was the real old Cleveland Stadium, the one that uh, used to, that uh, they pushed off into the lake after they built a new Brown Stadium, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have to go uh, to get up to the locker room, so we go. We have to go into the dugouts from the baseball and walk up the, the, the aisle to the top of the stadium where they had the, the clubhouses. I go walking in there, my pen is frozen. <laughs> and I'm walking along the way, and I'm trying to figure out how you know I'm going to be able to write because my pen is frozen. And the, uh, they had like all these bare bulbs along the walkway. I ended up putting my pen against the bare bulb. It was like an easy-bake oven. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought out my pen so I could write. So we get up there, we get into the, uh, the locker room. Again, it's open. You can do whatever you want. So we go around, I ran over, and uh, we talked to, I think the guy's name was Steve Davis that made the interception that sealed the game. We talked to him. I talked to him. And we talked, uh, went over and did Mark Van Egan, who was the big running back in that game. And Jim Plunkett was the quarterback. Talked to him. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine that I went to college with, he was working at another newspaper, and he was there covering. And we're standing in the corner on the far side of the uh, the, the locker room and we're standing there and to my left is a door and then there's a hallway that goes down to another door and I'm standing there and I says gee I wonder if Tom Flores the, the coach of the Raiders came out and did his press conference yet because I mean I was supposed to talk to him that's part of the reason why I'm over here and I got wrapped up in all these guys and I didn't hear if he came out and my friend goes, gee, I don't know. That's a good question. Well, all of a sudden, the door to my left opens up, and a guy, one of the assistant coaches, sticks his head out and says, well, Tom already had his uh, press conference. You missed it. I go, oh, thanks. I go, geez, I don't know what I'm going to do, because that's what I was here for. The store back there behind me that's down the aisle opens up the door, and it's Tom Flores, and he sticks his head out. He goes, I'm just getting finished uh, changing. Come on back here. I'll talk to you. So me and my friend go back there, and we get these inter- uh, the interview him, and we get these quotes. Well, if when you cover pro and college events, they usually send a PR guy from each team in there mm-hmm. to get quotes to write down and give some superficial quotes to the uh, writers that have to hit deadlines so they got something to work with. Right. So one of those came down and got all those quotes and had passed it out to Mike as he's writing. So I come walking over there and I bring over these <laughs> bring over these quotes. And he's looking at him, and he's looking at his sheet, and he keeps looking at me, and he's looking at his sheet. He goes, I don't have any of this stuff on the sheet. Where'd you get these? And I 
same thing. I told him, well, this is, I told him the story. He goes, that's why I bring you with me. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that is, that so is there's awesome. that, you know. Uh, you know, Bryce Harper being here, there was a couple of good interviews there. Uh, he was uh, a circus to cover because uh, how um, the Washington Nationals uh, guarded him, and that was part of the reason why everybody hated him because the Nationals wouldn't allow him to sign autographs and everything like that. Interesting. And he was one of those types of guys that uh, he put on a show when he had all the media, and when you got to talk to him like by himself, he wasn't that bad. He was good, you know. He was sort of down to earth, you know. So, but you could never interview him alone. Oh, okay. So, you know, every they made sure that whenever he talked, that it was with a group of people. Well, one game came, and for some reason, there was no media there. It was a, a nothing game. And he was out there, and he was playing on center for the Suns, and it was a doubleheader. In the first game of the doubleheader, there was a drive to the right center. He went back to try to catch the ball. He caught it and ran into the, the fence and hit the ground. Got up, you know, shaking his head and all that stuff. Uh, you know, and then they played the second game. Well, after the game, I said to the, the guy that uh, pulls everything up, I want to talk to Bryce. He goes, well, you can't do that. You can't do it by yourself. I said, yeah, but I only want to ask him a couple questions. He said, I get in trouble for doing that. Well, at the time, there was a, a reporter from the local station, that Karen Loftus, remember her? Yep, I do. I, okay. Well, she was there filming the game for the TV station. And Brian, the guy that was the uh, the radio announcer for them, talked her into staying around so that we had a quote-unquote group to talk to Bryce. So we... Uh, go in and he comes out and he sits down at the table with us and I said look I only got like three questions for you he said okay and then, like I said he was really cool and the first thing I said to him well what happened uh, tell me what it was like to run into the wall for you I go that's not something that you guys do but you guys do it sometimes and it's an effort play in order to make a you know, a catch and turns and turned the game around when you did it. And he's talked about it and how he was stunned a little bit and all that stuff. And then I asked him something else. And I said, one last thing as, as we're getting done here. And he was hitting really lousy at that time. And I says, today you really showed up uh, or, or you really uh, had a great day. I says, I know you hate that S word, you know, the one that starts with slump. He goes, yeah. I says, but today, I go, you hit the ball well. I says, and I remember when we talked before, you said that when you're hitting well, you're hitting the right center and left center all the time, and that's where everything you hit went today. Mm -hmm. I go, what was the difference? What did you do to change? He goes, oh, it was easy. I went today and got contacts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> so I wrote the story, wrote about him running into the wall, and then the next day I wrote the story about him getting contacts and how it helped his hitting and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, I guess... People actually read the Herald Mail because every newspaper in the area was running to come and talk to him about his contacts the next day or two. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's awesome. <laughs> but it was just an off-the-hand thing, you know. It was. It was. So, and, and see, that's what I, I want to, with this podcast, be able to tell those stories. Because you've been fortunate to go behind the scenes. I've been fortunate to go behind the scenes. And we tell them, my stories obviously aren't written like yours are. I kind of just tell them to people that know me and who I've been able to hang out with. But... It is neat to hear 
what happens behind closed doors in professional sports and high school sports, college sports, because people do actually, you know, tie into that. I tell my players all the time, you know, people live vicariously through you. And it's true. People live vicariously through us, Bob. Like you and me, like they're probably wondering like, man, he gets to interview Tim Tebow or he gets to interview Bryce Harper. I wonder what that's like. People do get to live vicariously through us. And I think that we have a certain standard that we kind of have to keep ourselves at so that we can continue to tell those stories to others. So. I, uh, and, you know, I mean, I, I've been very fortunate uh, because I've talked to a lot of guys that I never thought I would, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, I was thinking, because uh, I knew I was going to come talk to you today and I thought you were going to ask about, the, you know, some of these stories. And I was thinking about some guys I had forgotten that I interviewed because, like, when I was in Martinsburg, they had a... Uh, they, uh, down in Winchester, they have that apple blossom every year, the parade mm-hmm. and everything. Yep. Well, they used to have a sports uh, uh, breakfast every they did. year. That's right. And sports I went Marshall. down and I covered that thing a couple of times. I got to talk to Eddie Robinson, who used to be the coach of Grambling. Yeah. He was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, oh, God. Uh, the old coach from Villanova I talked to, uh, too. Um, oh, God, I can't think of his name right now. I just thought about it the, uh, earlier when we were talking about it. Uh, but he was the. Uh, God, do you remember his name? I'm thinking about it right now. It was. Um, it, it's right. It was. Oh shoot. Um, last name begins with an L. <laughs> yeah. It would have well, been uh, Raleigh Massimino. Yeah, that was it. Was it Raleigh? Raleigh. Yep. Raleigh Massimino. Yep. Yeah, I talked to him. He was funny, and but uh, one of the one of the times we went there, uh, they had. Uh, they would bring in a red skin, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, they had Jay Schrader there that one year, but the one year they brought in, and it was real funny because it was the year that, uh, Patrick Ewing graduated. Okay. And so they had him there. And at the same time, they brought in John Conkak, who was the center from, uh, one of the Texas teams that they played in the NCAA tournament. And, uh, he was the big, uh, center that everybody was worried about and they the showdown was between Ewing and Concac. So they had both of them together at this banquet. <laughs> that guy was seven foot tall too. Went to Southern Methodist yeah. University, right? Yeah. Yep. So that was kind of cool. So I, I know uh I remember those guys, you know, and there were there were more because that that thing was great uh, when it was down there in the older days because the guy that ran it had connections all over the place and he was bringing everybody in there. He'd have a red skin every year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had contacts in the college and bring somebody up and, you know, and I mean, he, they, they had some great, great people there. Yeah, they uh, I met, uh, and when I was in Martinsburg, I met Cal Ripken before he became Cal Ripken. Yeah. <laughs> His rookie year, he was there with his dad. They were the grand marshals for a parade in Martinsburg. How about that? Wow. And then did you cover Ryan? There's a lot of stories. You probably covered Ryan too, right then? Ryan uh, Ripken? Ripken? Yeah. Uh, I didn't have much to do with him because toward when he got here, uh, we weren't covering the Suns anymore because of deadlines and some political things. Gotcha. (laughs) But... uh, um, I had yeah, always I heard. Yeah, see, I always heard that he had the same thing about as, as with Bryce. Like people had to be present. You could only ask certain questions. You couldn't ask go like off script. Like it was certain questions could be asked, and that's it. And that was kind of by Cal's PR people. Is what I had heard. I have no idea if that's true or not, though. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, you know, and then you get a guy like Tim Tebow, who was just 
awesome. <laughs> I, I didn't see, I mean, I went to the games and saw Tim play twice. I didn't have a chance to meet him like you guys did at the field where he signed autographs and all that stuff. They used to lift weights at the Golds in Northern Avenue, and I was lifting weights in there, and Tim Tebow came in, and he actually did bench press right beside me. He was benching like 315 on a game day, just repping it out. and rep. I mean, he was a huge human being, but he was yeah, the yeah. nicest guy in the world. He was awesome yeah. as a guy. He'd yeah, be in the middle of his list, and he'd stop. People wanted to take pictures and signs. He he couldn't have stopped his routine and day anymore to take care of fans and people that wanted to talk to him, where a lot of celebrities are the opposite. Man, I'm trying to get ready for my game. Why are you doing this? And Tim didn't do that, which I think is really, really cool. Well, and he carries that. I mean, you can tell because he carries himself that all the way through everything. Yes. If you get on his, I don't know if they still have it, but he has that website for the, because he does the national night out or national night out. Have you ever mm-hmm. heard about this? Yep, the foundation. Yeah, the foundation. And uh, there's a video out there of him on, I think it's Fallon show, the, the uh, late show on NBC. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting there and it was sort of a setup, but uh, he brought up this thing about this girl that was supposed to show up at that national night out thing. It's uh, for special needs kids. It's uh, like a Valentine's dance for special needs kids. And he it's did done do that. all over the country. Correct, yes. Uh, the closest one here that I know of is in Chambersburg. And uh, he sat there and told that, he, that she invited him to be her date at the um, her, her function. And he turned it down because he couldn't uh, couldn't make it. So she was sitting in the stands, and he brought her on stage and had a uh, Valentine's dance with her. That's really cool. That's really that cool. That was pretty cool. <laughs> you know, and she got he brought her a, a wrist corsage and everything like that. It was pretty cool. <laughs> that, that is, and he, and he doesn't have to do stuff like that. And he, he knows his role. I mean, I know he's really big into the church and and that stuff, and he preaches that really nicely. But he also knows that he can p- impact others by the platform that he has elected himself to be on by cho- choosing to do what he does. And you know, he he does a really good job with his platform in helping others. So yeah. And that's his foundation, you know. Yep, it definitely is. You know, Bob, I know you're a busy guy, and, you know, we're getting geared up for the season just as you're getting geared up for our seasons. Um, you know, I hope to see you in the gym here soon. I don't. I know you guys are going to be cut, trying to cover, like, what, six games a night or something like that for the next 16 days, so you'll be bouncing all around. Uh, hopefully I see you in the gym. We can catch up in person. And, you know, I'd love to have you back on the show a lot more. We can kind of talk a little bit of anything and everything. Spring training starting up now, so it'll be fun to kind of talk about a whole bunch of baseball stuff and, you know, just keep sharing stories. I'd love to do it. I really enjoyed this. I uh, hope it didn't bore everybody. <laughs> no, but, yeah, I'd be glad to do it. Awesome. I appreciate that. You have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you soon. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, and thanks for your time. I want to thank Bob for being on today's show. Love having him on. Love chatting about a little bit of everything. He is a wealth of knowledge. He's been around the games, all the games, a long time now. And looking forward to, you know, having him back on the show. We'll maybe do something, you know, moving into baseball and other sports. We can do something every couple weeks. I would love to have him back on the show. So that is today's show. Getting ready for uh, practice here this afternoon. Hopefully the guys are ready to battle and get back after it as we open up on Friday night. Until then, thank you for listening to Never In My Wildest Dreams podcast. Looking forward to having you guys back on the show tomorrow. We will talk to you then.